Hey, hey, welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode six, and as I mentioned in the past, I'm going to kind of alternate from single topic episodes to more email bag current events type episodes, and that's what we're doing today. I've got some feedback, got a couple emails, and I've got a particularly fun news story coming out of Gabon where a bunch of Babinga just disappeared. That's going to be a fun one to talk about. First, I do want to say thank you to my new patrons, Bob, Michael, and Kit, who all joined at the $5 level. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your support. And I should mention that there is a new level on Patreon where you can get a sticker. Everybody loves stickers. Stickers are like the greatest thing. They're, they're almost like money. You just can't pay your mortgage with them. So there's that. Anyway, go to patreon.com slash lumber update. You can find all the information there. So from a feedback perspective, I thought this was interesting. Nicholas wrote me and he actually works for a lumber wholesaler as well. And he says, we recently hired a couple of new guys that were green to the industry. After listening to your first podcast, I turned my boss onto it and told him that I thought it would be an awesome training tool for the new guys to listen to. He listened to it and thought it was a very informative and well-presented show. So now we're going to use it as a training tool for all our new employees that may either uh, need a refresher or are completely new to the industry. As a woodworker, I love your podcast, have been a fan of yours from the get-go, and I thought you'd be interested to know that the usefulness of the podcast has gone in a direction that I wasn't sure you anticipated, a training tool for future lumbermen. So thank you for the great podcast. Can't wait for future episodes. So thank you, Nick. I, I do appreciate that. And actually, that's not entirely a surprise because we are doing that internally at uh, J. Gibson McIlvain. A lot of the content that I create both on the blog, some of the videos on the site, and now this podcast kind of has that double bladed effect because we also are hiring a lot of new people every single day. I think the lumber industry as a whole is facing a major issue with hiring because there's so many people who've been in the industry for 40 some years and now they're all retiring at once. So there's a lot of new blood coming in industry and a lot of industry knowledge locked up into the heads of 40, 50 year veterans that we are losing. So absolutely, my thought in starting the show was that I was would be able to use it as somewhat of a training tool for our own employees. It's great to know that other people find it beneficial. It's also great to know from a corporate espionage perspective that I could intentionally fill your employees' heads with false information to give us a competitive advantage. No, I wouldn't do that. Maybe. No, seriously. I could possibly fill their heads with false information because maybe I have false information to begin with. We learned that a couple episodes ago, right? So I do appreciate that, Nick. That's great to hear. And I am excited that that you found it useful, that your boss has found it useful. And hopefully you're still finding it useful multiple episodes later. So I do want to turn to some current events here because this is a story that the minute it broke, it immediately became the talk of my office. You can find it in a couple different places, but long and short of it is there were more than 300 containers filled with uh, Bubinga. And, and Bubinga is, is, is a trade name that we know. There's like four or five other trade names that coming out of Gabon that this uh, material is known by. But these 300 plus containers just disappeared. They completely disappeared. But let's back up a little bit. Um, Gabon, it, their bubinga is a heavily protected species. Now, I want to be clear that bubinga is not a heavily protected species 
everywhere. It is not a CITES listed species that is, is monitored in every single country. However, local Gabon law does say that it is not legal to trade logs. Um, it's also not legal to trade boards without all kinds of other permits and, and permissions and things. And it actually is very typical, regardless of the species, for logs to be legal to be traded because logs can be, um, well, first of all, there's not a lot of people wanting to actually trade in logs because logs are very difficult to transport, incredibly heavy because they're full of water and it's just not cost effective. But a lot of countries are trying to go figure, keep jobs in countries. So what they say is the law says we won't export logs, but we will export boards, which means that the sawing and the sawing into boards and everything is happening in country and keeping local jobs local. And that has become pretty standard practice for a lot of, of, of lumber out there. But in Gabon, Bubinga in general is forbidden. You can't do anything with it. It's like a sacred tree to them. So when the port in Gabon inspectors found more than 300 containers filled with bubinga immediately it was like whoa that's not right that's not allowed to be here at all what was crazy though is within a matter of weeks those 300 some seized containers disappeared they were gone completely now since then there's been about i want to say about 200 of them recovered and i haven't actually looked into this in a couple of days they may have recovered some more but needless to say, they disappeared, they recovered some, but there's still like a hundred some containers of Bubinga that have disappeared. A little bit of further digging, and we come to discover that the um, Minister of Forestry in Gabon was the one that actually signed off on this. Digging further, we come to find that the broker was actually a Chinese businessman who kind of masterminded this whole trade. And it's likely that those missing containers are in China somewhere and they will never be found again. Well, the president of Gabon has since sacked the minister of forestry and the vice president. So the president of Gabon was actually on some sort of convalescence after um, after an illness. And the vice president, I guess, thought, eh, he's going to pass away. I'm just going to go ahead and run this country like it's mine. And I guess made a deal with this Chinese businessman. We don't know. There's no facts around this. But the minister of forestry, his signature was on the export documentation. Therefore, he was able to get to port. I guess the good news is, is it was actually caught at the port. And regardless of it being the minister of forestry signature or not, the inspector looked at the species and said, uh-uh, that is illegal. You cannot move this stuff out of here. And it was seized at that point. The unfortunate part is, is all the signatures were in order. Everything was great. So you can have regulations, right? But all it's going to take is the right people to sign it, <clears throat> the right people to possibly be paid off to sign it, and it'll make it to port. So if it hadn't been caught at the port, you know, it would have it would have been exported to China and those 350 some containers would have never been found again. Now, unfortunately, the fact that those containers were then heisted out of there and the majority of them, you know, disappeared to China. Well, that again goes to show you that you can have all kinds of regulations, but if you grease the right palms at the port, you can somehow manage to get that material out of there. So it's 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 an upsetting and sad story that despite all kinds of regulations and all kinds of paper trails and documentation, this illegal trade is still happening, not just like it, under you know cover of darkness, but like right under our noses. I mean, this was a big story. This story broke uh, probably three or four days before like places like BBC picked it up. 
these outlets, these major news outlet outlets picked it up when the uh, the logs went missing. Nobody was really reporting on it when they were first seized at the port. So what happened is they were it was caught and the the lumber industry kind of heard about it and we were all talking about it and then suddenly they disappeared. So look at it this way: there was already like the the alarm bells were going off and this stuff had been seized and had been put under protective custody and yet it still disappeared. So it wasn't like it was found and it disappeared before anybody knew to pay attention to it. No, the port was on high alert going, this is, this is bad. This is trying to be exported out of here illegally and people were guarding it and yet it still managed to disappear. So right under your nose, this stuff just up and disappeared, which goes to show you, I guess, bribery is a very real thing in, in a lot of places. Obviously, we don't know that. No one can know, but let's be real, folks. Somebody got it out of there and somebody got a payoff somewhere. It's incredibly frustrating when you hear that type of stuff because I know personally, um, we work with a lot of exporters that do do it right and do have valid chain of custody and have all kinds of, of scientific testing and, and um, GPS traceability and everything that goes beyond the paperwork to show that the material they're exporting was gotten legally, harvested legally, and all that stuff, and all the right signatures were done. But a story like this comes along and immediately casts a shadow over the entire lumber trade. And it is really upsetting to see type of stuff like this happen. But what really, I think, bugs me on a lot of this stuff is... Certainly, export to China is the the only option here. If this material had been exported to the U.S., there is no way in hell it would have made it out of a U.S. port. The U.S. Uh, Lacey Act authorities would have immediately seized that material and would have shown up at the doorstep of the importer of record and Elian Gonzalez them like. You guys remember that? Remember that image of the guy like in full body armor with the automatic weapon pointing at the little Cuban kid? Yeah, that's what would happen. You know, if, if we were the importers of record on that, Jay Gibson McIlvain would be raided immediately. Within the day, they would have shown up and busted down our door with automatic weapons and shut down our entire business. Because, th- first of all, all of those containers is a major red flag to begin with. But containers coming in from Africa, every single one of them in the port of Philadelphia, port of Norfolk, port of Baltimore, all the the, the major ports that we're working with, all the West Coast ports that we work with, they are all inspected. Absolutely every single one of them is inspected when they're coming from overseas. So maybe they would have gotten it out of Africa. But if it came to the U.S., it would have immediately been seized. The government would have seized it. It would have been taken off into some dusty warehouse and placed next to the Ark of the Covenant, you know, big government warehouse somewhere that, you know, has not only the alien ship from Area 51, the Ark of the Covenant and Gaboon Babinga. So, yeah, it's it's good to know, I guess, that that material wouldn't get it into the U.S. But at the same time, there are countries like China that you can export to and nobody cares. So that is really the only outlet. So it's really no surprise that on the other end of this deal, it was a Chinese businessman looking to bring this stuff in. But let's get real. Say they recover all of these 300 plus containers. Yay, we recovered all the material. Now what are we going to do? Those trees have already been felled. Those logs have already been sawn into boards. You can't replant boards. So 300 plus containers. That's got to be, depending on how well the stuff was dried, oh, a couple million board feet. 
I'm just doing math in my head. You're asking a music major to do math real quick. Maybe 30,000 board feet per container. Maybe, depending upon the weight, maybe it's low as 10,000 board feet in a container. But still, you were talking hundreds and hundreds, if not millions of board feet of material that were felled. So in Gabon, it's not a big country to begin with, but where did they even find enough trees? Where did they fell enough trees to fill 300 containers of an illegal wood in the first place? So I guarantee you this wood is not all Gabon in origin. It came from multiple places, places where it is actually legal to trade it. So I guess there's that, but still that many trees were felled illegally because there were no concession documents on this. There was no traceability on it to point back to a specific concession. So you have to assume that those containers were filled with illegally felled trees. Well, that's where it needs to be caught. That's when the regulations need to help. Regulating at the port is great to kind of control the flow. Regulating the trade, well, that can be good and that can be bad. You see, if you regulate the trade to the point where the species becomes um, has no value because you can't trade it at all, well, the forest in which that tree is growing in loses its value too. And you're talking about landowners that have invested in this material and are hoping to be able to sell the material and suddenly they can't sell the material. What are they going to do? Generally, what happens is they sell it to a cattle rancher for grazing land, which, by the way, number one cause of deforestation in the world is not the lumber industry, but the cattle trade. You got to have grassland, grazing land for for your livestock. And when those trees lose all their value, the land gains value as pasture land. And it's an unfortunate truth, but that's where a lot of that deforestation is happening for livestock. Now, that's not to say that felling trees is, is, is not to blame in some respect, but still, if we are not catching the felling of the trees in the first place, I'm not sure that it's really a win. Even if we seize the boards or the logs, you can't replant them. I know I said that already, but it just it exacerbates me that so much focus on illegal logging is placed at the port and the regulation side of things and all the paperwork. Um, and this is not all bad. I mean, Africa is still a bit of the Wild West on a lot of this stuff, even though the lumber trade's been going on there for a very, very long time, much longer than in the, quote, New World, folks, because they were trading, the Europeans were trading African hardwoods before they even knew North America and South America existed, before Columbus came along and put it on the map. But, you know, the New World may have a few things right. Brazil, for example, um, they are actually pretty good at catching illegal forestry in the act, overflying by drones, um, people in planes. Um, we have actually an example of a, of a um, concession owner that we've bought a lot of material from in the past. And uh, one of my buyers was actually down there visiting and the, the, the entire business had been shut down because they found an illegal logging camp on the back of his concessions. And in Brazil, most concessions are 30 to 40 years long, and they're designed to cut at a certain point and you kind of work further back in the concession. So you own this in giant um, portion of land and you're not allowed to touch, say, like the back quarter of it for 30, 40 years from now. So the fact that there was activity at all in the back quarter of that concession was a major red flag because the concession plan does not have them cutting there until like 2045 or something like that. So these, um, this was a drone that actually flew over that part and saw the little like wood miser camp out there cutting down trees and sawing into boards. And they immediately descended on them, shut them down. There were a couple of trees felled, but they got 
they shut it down before a bunch of trees were felled. Now, that brought the entire concession under investigation, which is why our, our, our vendor, who has been doing it right, they had to shut everything down, double check all his paperwork, double check all of his logs, all the GPS stamps, all of the, the hammer brands, everything to make sure that all the logs on his yard came from where they said they were, because all of these logs are specifically tagged in the forest. So you can trace it literally back to that stump. He passed with flying colors, but certainly it shut his business down for almost six weeks, which is kind of a big deal down there when you got a lot of employees that are living paycheck to paycheck and you're not making any money can be a little bit difficult. So it, it definitely sucks for the guys that are doing it right. But at least that illegal activity was caught before a whole bunch of trees were felled. And proper concession plans and proper silvicultural plans, i.e., cutting on certain parts and leaving other parts alone for 30, 40 years, you can begin to start capturing these people that are, that are, you know, felling trees illegally. Now, let's be real. Rainforest canopies are pretty dense. And some folks have caught on to this thinking, well, let's make sure we don't fell this tree because it's going to open a hole in the canopy and make it very obvious that we're here. So it's not foolproof, certainly, but you can't do wholesale clear cutting in an area that you're not supposed to be because they're the... Um, Ibama, the, the Brazilian forest people are overflying the forest all the time and they're catching this stuff. We're starting to see some of this stuff happen in Africa, but unfortunately there's a lot of different um, countries and warlords and things like that that really don't care. It's not happening. So to me, th that's the upsetting thing is that this many trees to fill 300 more plus containers were felled in the first place. And whether you seize it or not does not change the fact that those trees were felled. And that's particularly upsetting. So anyway, another week, another Gabon scandal. It seems like just last month there was a big Okume plywood scandal coming out of Gabon. Oh, wait, it was just last month. Yeah, I don't know what it is, man. It's the Wild West over there. If you're buying African hardwoods, ask some questions, folks. Ask where it comes from. Ask who the importer of record is. You know, people may not know these answers right away, but they ought to be able to get you those answers. And a little bit of Googling can show you just how legit or not legit or where that chain of custody starts to break down. Because, you know, you can you can ban and say, I don't want to buy exotic woods. I don't think that's really the answer. The answer needs to be, I'm only going to buy exotic woods from an informed perspective. Here's an example where a bunch of material was caught and we're going to keep an eye out for Bubinga from here on out. And if you can't find traceability, that may be some of that Bubinga that went missing. Moving on, let's talk emails. And this is kind of, I picked this one because it falls into a, kind of a theme here. See, Chris wants to get into import and export. So he writes me and says, I have extended family in Malaysia that own a logging company. They are interested in selling in the U.S. I know there are probably regulations up the wazoo for importing exotic lumber. Would you have any advice on how and where to get started? Is it just a pipe dream thinking that I could start a lumber import business? Any thoughts or advice is appreciated. Absolutely, Chris. What I would recommend is that you reach out to the International Wood Products Association, IWPA.org. They are really the industry advocate for um, lumber, international lumber, and import and export. They have a whole bunch of training that is free to members. I'm pretty sure it's available to non-members, but it's probably going to be a bit more expensive. Become a member. It's a good organization. It's free to members, and it will, it will walk you through compliance and import-export, um, kind of the how-to, the A, Bs, and Cs. That's a really good place to start. The important thing is you have to understand 
A, what are the species that your family will be logging? You need to know those species because it all comes down to species. Are there any local laws in Malaysia or any of the ports of call that you'll need to go through in order to export to the U.S. So Malaysia is kind of a, you know, there, there may be multiple ports you may be using. There also may be multiple jump off points, maybe into Java and Sumatra, maybe up into Myanmar now. So all of those ports of call, you need to understand what the local laws are for logs or boards. I talked about that earlier. And what species are allowed or not allowed. So the example of the Gabon bubinga, you can export bubinga out of Cameroon, but you cannot out of Gabon. So these are the things you need to know. Look in your local area around where your family business is and understand those local laws. Because here in the U.S., the United States Lacey Act interprets foreign law and says if it's illegal in that foreign municipality, it is illegal in the U.S. And certainly if it's illegal in the U.S., yeah, that also is, is a bad thing. But Lacey is trying to prevent um, basically like the whole extradition idea of flee the country and it's suddenly legal. No, 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 no. Just because it's illegal in Gabon doesn't mean you're safe in the U.S. because the Lacey Act says if it's illegal there, it's illegal here. So you got to understand those local regulations and every single stop along that export path. You've got to understand that because any violation along there will be in violation of the U.S. Lacey and you're, you're sunk at that point. So check out IWPA.org, go through their compliance training, go through their import-export training and um, tell them I said hi. So Vince wrote in, he said, uh, I recently got into chainsaw milling and I've heard the term can't quite a bit. But in your first episode, you described timber being boards larger than six inches. Is a timber dimensioned cant or are they different cuts off of a log? Cant is basically the term for when you take a log and you square it up on four sides. So instead of it being a round log, you now have a square-ish, not necessarily square, but rectangular, square, flat-sided log. And generally the pith is still centered in there. But what that means is now that you've got a flat edge that sits on the bed of the mill or that your chainsaw mill, your Alaskan mill can reference against and you can begin start slicing things off. If you want a quarter saw boards, it's a lot easier if you've got a flat face in order to rotate that board, that cant around on. So cant is just a log that's been squared off on four faces. And that, folks is the end of our show. A couple of email questions, me ranting about some uh, crazy stuff going on over in Gabon. If you have questions about any of this stuff, if you have some feedback on the Gabon issue, I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm actually glad I waited a few weeks to record this because when this came out, I was ranting like crazy and had all kinds of stuff to say about it. And, you know, cooler heads will prevail a couple of weeks later, but it's just, it's one of those stories that just frankly pisses me off because I know so many people in the lumber export import business that are doing it right and have incredible documentation and incredible infrastructure in place to ensure that they are harvesting healthily, sustainably, legally, and bringing good quality material into the U.S. through legal channels. Yet this stuff happens and it makes everybody look bad and it just pisses me off, <laughs> but not to put too fine a point on it. So there we go, folks. There's another episode in the bag. Thank you as always for listening. And thank you to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash lumber update is the place you can go to support the show. And if you have questions, 
Go to lumberupdate.com, go to the contact form, fill out the question there, or if you want to send in a voicemail, record it on your voice memo app and email it to lumberupdate at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody. Go buy some wood.